said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, like a Welcome to the podcast, you, which we still have a name, which the subject to change was one of the proposed names. But uh, what did we decide? Armed and naked, pushing the boundaries. Super solid. Uh, if you're listening to this, you already know what it's called. Uh, okay. So I'm here today with Mistress Kyla Yi, who's a very interesting uh, person, I, I already know, despite only having spoken with her for a few minutes. Uh, she is a licensed marriage and family counselor in the state of California. And she's also a professional dominatrix. Yes, I am. And she has had some very traumatic sexual experiences. She was telling me earlier, <laughs> uh, we met the other night and the f first thing I heard her say, I overheard you say to someone else was, I have to go home and rest my genitals. <laughs> I have to go home and rest my vagina. Yes. Your vagina, was it? Yes. Your vagina. Okay. I uh, lacerated my labia three inches. And how exactly did that happen? Much as I don't really want to picture it, I, I, I have to know. Uh, or, I was at Burning Man for the first time ever. Uh -huh. So first burn. How was that? Um, well, I was Aside there for five, the well, there for five hours. So oh, it was just a quick visit. It, well, I wish it had been longer. Oh, because of the accident. Exactly. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. This is why you don't ride oversized beach cruisers by yourself in the back streets of Burning Man at night. So you just slipped off the scene or something? I went over a really hard packed, bumpy part of the road and right. flew up right onto that middle bar and Ow. blood everywhere, like Ow. a waterfall of blood. It was crazy. People were running around me. Are you having a miscarriage? I was like, nope, that's physically impossible, but <laughs> I have severely injured myself. So uh -huh. I should get some help. So and yeah. was, was there medical? There's a Burning Man hospital, which is phenomenal on right. site, but right. my injuries were too severe because they needed a special type of suture. And so they transferred me to the Reno hospital, which is two, three hours away. And that was a horrible ride. And then I was flown back to LA. So here I am. I've survived. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hi. Hi. That was less than two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But luckily, the area heals quickly, like your your mouth and your eye. So all those. Yeah, I haven't lacerated my eye recently. <laughs> I, um, would I would recommend it. Yeah. Try to avoid that if do, you can. Do you, do you want to say anything about the other uh, <laughs> uh, How about we just get to the meat? <laughs> Why don't we save that for a second podcast? Save that for episode yeah, two. I'll come back okay. as, uh, as my therapist. All right. All I'm saying is that uh, the Mistress Kyla Yee is extremely sexy. But between that story and another story, <laughs> I think my penis has um, retreated into my body. So it, I've succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> do you know about that disease in Southeast Asia. Which one? Uh, where men, I think it's called uh, Koro, where um, Chinese men believe that uh, their penis can be stolen mm -hmm. by spirits, mm -hmm. particularly and evil female spirits, particularly. And, and their body like disappear, their, their penis disappears. And what happens is they're so afraid it actually retracts into their body. Right. Like and there's some martial artists who claim they can retract their testicles into their body at will. That's convenient. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I did Kung Fu lessons for a while, but we didn't get to that. That was I, a part I, of the instruction? Know, it wasn't oh, as, I wasn't that advanced. You can get the most advanced levels. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really. <laughs> Although it seems like you should teach you that from the beginning. Go figure. You would think so. Like right. learn to fall, learn to get your balls out of the exactly. way because people are going to be kicking you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I would say. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, these, these podcasts aren't really interviews so much as conversations, cool. right? It's my I excuse like it. to hang out and talk to interesting people. So the whole idea of being 
uh, a professional therapist mm -hmm. dealing with marriages, family dynamics, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. That's your day job, I guess, yes. or night job. I don't know when you do that. <laughs> it depends. Some of my clients are in various parts of the world and right. countries. So right. I do coaching as well, so that doesn't require you to stay within the state of California. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So when did you get into that? What, what led you into that line of work? Actually, one kind of led into the other. Um, I was initially on the law track back in uh, back in my undergrad days and my parents you know who are traditional Asian were like you get to be a doctor or a lawyer right that's so your choice that's it you know there are no other options out there and so I was on the law track like a dutiful little Asian daughter and it was just so unfulfilling and did you have one of those tiger moms I did mm. I and father so it was like oh yeah I know both both at the same double time, tiger yeah, treatment who, whew, so intense yeah um but yeah so I started volunteering on the suicide prevention hotline on the suicide, on the suicide prevention, prevention hotline. hotline. Yeah, okay. because right. I right. wanted something that helped me, me feel like I was contributing in a positive way right. to the world. Right. Um, and I loved it so much. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do law anymore. I'm going to go into therapy, you know, mm. psychology, some sort of healing. And so I told my mom and dad and they immediately rescinded all support and we're like, good luck with that. Have really? Fun. You were Completely. essentially disowned. Yes, essentially. Yes. For the second time in my life. Oh, so, just for wanting to be a psychologist or a exactly. psychotherapist mm -hmm. of some sort. Absolutely. Because that wow, wasn't that's rough. Mm -hmm. That's rough. Yeah. They didn't really understand what it was. It wasn't a real, you know, they're, they're from China. They were born in China. Yes. They're, or, they're from the, uh, Hong Kong and Macau. Uh, and you were born here. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That the whole first generation thing is always an issue. It's really always is. a big a cultural difference. And it's interesting yeah. because, you know, the immigrants who come over are actually, much more staunch in their beliefs than you yeah. know people back home who are right. progressing and people here are progressing so they remain in this weird that's an interesting point that happens in in linguistics it's mm. very interesting i was in, traveling in uh, southern mexico one time in chiapas and i was with my my girlfriend at the time who's catalan from uh, okay, you right, know barcelona right. and she noticed that there were a lot of archaic spanish and catalan words in latin america hmm. that had long since stopped being used in Europe, right? right so right. there are expressions that Mexicans use that are from 400 years ago and the Spanish in Spain just kept rolling along, exactly. but somehow that thing got preserved, you know, it came over exact with the conquistadors or whomever and, and got preserved. So sort of the same thing you're saying in terms of cultural uh, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. So what about the first time you got uh, oh, yeah. disowned? So what the happened there? I got disowned. Actually, um, I will go ahead and share with you, Chris, because we're all being open. If you'd today. like to, no, if you'd like to. Um, so growing up, I was super Christian uh -huh. and I was going to be a virgin until marriage and I was going to become a nun and everything was going to be great. And then when I was a freshman in college, I lost my virginity to a pretty violent rape. Oh, yes, sorry. that by an acquaintance. So that was really shitty. And so mm. I did that whole, you know, oh my God, fuck you, God, there is no God, uh, all that. And, right. You know, after a sexual trauma, you become hyposexual or hypersexual. Right. So I became hypersexual and my parents who'd found out that I was no longer a virgin disowned me. So did they was, know the, the situation? Yes, they, absolutely. They knew the situation and they kicked me out of the house and told me that I wasn't their daughter and told me that they were ashamed of me and all these really horrible things that you should never say to your daughter who was raped. So yeah. that oh, was, sorry. that was tough. It's interesting because I was homeless for a year and I just bounced around. How old were you? I'm um, 18. Yeah. 18. <sighs> And um, 
So, so, so on top of the trauma of the rape, you've got all, zero suddenly family zero family support and, and you're right. homeless. So Jesus. eventually one of my Asian friends said, okay, well, this is how it is. You've shamed the family. You need to go back and apologize. And I was like, I need to, I need to apologize. Right. And he's like, if you ever want to have a relationship with your family again, you have to go back and apologize. So I sucked it up, you know, showed up on the doorstep. My mom opened the door and I, I distinctly remember her looking at me and just saying, you know, who are you? You know, what are you doing here? Like, you know, her face purposefully wasn't registering me. Wow. And I started crying. I was like, mom, I'm so sorry. Blah, 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 blah. And she was like, oh, I, we've been waiting for you to come back and we missed you. So in recent years, I have a discussion with my parents about that and they've apologized. I know that they feel bad and they didn't know how damaging it was at the time. But that was, you know, an integral part of what shaped and molded me and my sexuality. So it was, uh, it was actually quite quite shitty and traumatizing that's you know that sounds like a very islamic kind of there are a response lot of parallels. To things you know mm -hmm. you'd expect that in afghanistan or something yeah welcome to china yeah yeah aka you know have you been to China? Yes, I yeah. have. Mm -hmm. You speak yeah. Chinese or Mandarin? Um, or elementary school level. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people can tell you're not you're not from there once you start talking. Exactly. In college, yeah. I took a class, and all uh, the all the white girls spoke more better. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they can probably speak better English like I do, but yes, it was all horrible. No, your English is good. Your English is great. Thanks, no. Chris. Yes. As someone who taught English for a long time, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, that's a hell of a story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So, that. Of course, that's that's yeah. amazing. Thank you for making it a safe space to share. Yeah. So but, um, so you uh, so then that sort of I guess did that lead to 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 wanting to work in therapy then because you'd been through It was interesting because um I wanted to do what made my parents happy in my undergrad years. Right. So I stuck, you know, I think it was all part of the whole wanting to get their approval guy, wanted them to love me again. So you know, went to the went to the log track. But then when I started volunteering the Suicide Prevention Hotline, I was kind of, you know, flooded with everything that had happened and really felt this, um, this need, this desire and this passion to, to help heal, you know, yeah. myself, others, yeah. you know, especially women, other women who've been through sexual trauma. Right. And so my thesis, you know, as a graduate student was actually um, working with sexual abuse survivors, like Asian sexual abuse survivors. Right. And, Asian, particularly. Yeah, specifically because of the issues right. that they deal the with. Exactly. Stuff, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so when I applied to graduate school, it was going to be extremely expensive because private schools are not cheap. And uh, I applied for a loan, no problem. You know, I was saying, okay, great. I'll just pay for this myself. And what I didn't know was that when you apply for a loan, you get half of it each semester. You don't get the whole lump sum. Right. So I'd initially thought that I was just going to apply for a loan, get the whole bit, then apply for another loan. But that was now it worked. So I found myself ready to start the school year, but my loan, uh, you know, I had to pay for my first semester's tuition. And I think I was uh, seven or $8,000 short because the loan didn't cover that. Right. So I sent an email to everybody I knew. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, this is the deal. I need to go to grad school. What do I do? Um, and I need to make this amount of money and this amount of time. You know, I'm not going to take off my clothes. I'm not going to strip. I'm not going to sell drugs. I'm not going to do anything illegal. Basically, I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and feel really good about myself, who I am, what I'm doing. Um, but I need to make the money really fast. So what can I do? Can I stop some envelopes for you? Like, what's the plan? So everyone wrote back and they were like, ha, 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 ha. Very funny. Like, if I knew how to make that much money, I would be. Um, except for one person. One person wrote me back and he was my former human uh, professor of human sexuality. 
Really? Yeah. And he said, you know, I know someone you can talk to. I think you'd be really good at it. And uh, here's your information. I was like, oh, what is it? He's like, you know what? I'm not going to. Why don't you just go meet her? She's really right. nice. You know, tell right. her Dr. So-and-so sent you and, right. and good luck. And I was like, oh, well, all right, let's, hey, you know, I don't really have any options here. So let's, let's go check this out. Right. So I drove over to this lady's house, a very, you know, like very nondescript house in West Los Angeles. You know, there's a picket fence around it and there are little kids riding their bikes, you know, by the sidewalk. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. Ice and, cream truck. <laughs> Not, no, not, not at the time, but I'm sure one rolls by <laughs> Sounds like the regular kind of street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I walk in, there's this, you know, this little nice looking middle-aged woman opens up the door and I was like, hi. And we sit down. She's like, oh, Dr. So-and-so sent you over. So we sat, we chatted for a little bit. Huh. You know, why do you need the money? You know, student, et cetera, et cetera. And so at one point she goes, okay, you know, I'll train you. And I was like, oh. And you still don't know what you're being still trained in. Still don't know what I'm being trained in. No, not yet. Huh. And so I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, well, what, what is, so train me in. And she's like, come to the back and I'll explain. I was like, okay. So I walked down this hallway and there are any doors on the sides. And then she opens up this last door at the end of a very long hallway. And, you know, my eyes are gigantic. And all of a sudden there's a St. Andrew's cross. There's a spanking horse. There's all sorts of bondage equipment. There are, you know, whips, chains, cuffs, floggers, quirts, everything's, you know, just, and I'm kind of, okay, like well, this is real. Like this really happens. This is real life. So you hadn't seen this sort of stuff before? I had actually, okay. Shall we rewind a little more? <laughs> rewind all you want. So as a freshman um, at the University of Michigan, I remember I was at uh, my very first frat party and I don't drink because I'm violently allergic to alcohol. Um, so I was at the frat party and I was sitting there with my with my beverage that someone had given me. And I remember tucking it behind a curtain, hiding my beer behind a frat curtain. And um, there was a pretty well-known um, junior, senior athlete at the time who approached me, you know, as I was there and I was like, okay, what does this guy want? Why is he talking to me? I'm this little Asian freshman and I don't know why you're here. And he goes, excuse me, I, I really like your heels. And I was wearing these black five inch, you know, kind of stiletto heels. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then he goes, um, this is really weird, but would you mind, would you mind walking on me in your, in your shoes? And I was like, excuse me. He's like, I'm sorry. I, I, this is really weird. I, and I was like, you want me to walk on you? That's it. Just walk on you. Like this is just really bizarre to He's me. He's not talking about a back massage here. Oh, no, this yeah. is like he walk on him in my shoes, and I was like, this is kind of weird, but okay, this could be this could be interesting. This you know, is at the, the party, he just at the party, just just threw it out there. The no, 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 not oh. in public. I oh, knew it back to okay, so, you okay. know the dorm room and everything. But um, yeah, I I was like, well, how do I do this? And I figured out that I could balance myself like on the wall and kind of like step on him, and he's all meaty and fleshy, you know. And I'm just like walking on his back and walking down, and it was a little bizarre, but I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, now turn around. And so he turned around and like walked down, you know, all the way out, all the way up. And then I was like, okay, well, that was fun. I'm leaving now. And so he's like, oh, thank you. That was so great. And I left. And later I did online research about it. And I, it was just, all this stuff came up about, you know, BDSM. And at the time I was like, oh, what is this? And it felt a little too like, whoa for me. So, um, it was it was hot though. It was weird hmm. when I when I walked on him. It was kind of a thrill, like oh. And you were now because of what you talked about earlier. Yes. You, would you have said? Would you say you were hypersexual at this stage no, in this your life? No, this was before that happened. Oh, this was before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Very interesting. 
Right. So. So now when you're walking on this guy's back, are mm-hmm. you, well, two questions. Are you getting off on it in some sense or are you aware that he's getting off on it in some sense? Um, I was aware that I was definitely doing something for him because he was all, he was making like little happy noises, you know, and like, ah, you know, like, like little like breathy sounds. And for me, it was kind of hot because here I am like little Asian fresh fit and here's this pretty well-known athlete, you mm. know, and I'm walking on him <laughs> right. and it's just a, it's a really, um, it's a fun dynamic. And right. It's just like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Right. So, so it did come to you naturally yeah, in some it, sense, right? I guess it right, did. <laughs> right. So this, okay. So back to yes, the ice cream truck street, right, right, right. Uh, white picket fence. Mm-hmm. So you're in there. She's mm-hmm. showing you the tools of the trade mm-hmm. and she's going to train you. Yes. I'm going to be her apprentice. You're going, she's taking you under her yes, wing. She she's going to classically train me as a professional dominatrix. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And how long is the training? Um, well, first it was just kind of explaining, you know, all the different types of equipment, you know, obviously a lot of safety precautions, where is to hit, where areas not to hit. Um, and then I started sitting in on sessions, just, just observing, right. so watching her. And then when I felt comfortable, I would start doing double sessions with her and right. you know, then we do them together. And then when I felt like I was ready on my own, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to do this. Let's right. do it. So how's it work financially then? Does she get a cut somehow? Or so do you when I sit her? in and watch, uh-huh. um, she would charge the clients an extra humiliation fee or, you know, because <laughs> it's extra embarrassing if someone watching you, right? Oh, wow. So, uh, so yeah, so I'd get paid a little bit for that. Uh-huh. And then um, when I did double sessions with her, she'd keep, you know, obviously part of the money, but pay me a bit. And then when I was on my own, I set my own rates. And that's it. And, and that and, was it. And you don't owe her student loan money her, or something. No, no. <laughs> Although I did pay her for rental of the space. So at the time I paid her $50 an hour for wow. an hour of, you know. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah, it worked out really So well. it sounds to me like she's, as far as training you, it's not a financial thing for her. It's no. just she recognizes you would be good at it. and, and I like to think that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's almost, there's this sort of nobility about it in a sense. She's passing it's, something along. and it, It's one of the few professions I'm aware of that actually, you know, has you go through a, an actual apprenticeship. Right. Know? And she so. could lose clients, right? I she mean, could, absolutely. Theoretically. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. we live in a big area. I guess there are a lot of, it's a possible. lot of potential clients, but yeah. Sure. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So at this point you're in college, you're an undergrad at this point when you're doing um, this? No, I graduate school. Oh, you're in grad yes. school. Okay. So, so you're doing classes in psychology mm-hmm. and you're doing this at the same time. Exactly. Now, did you, did you feel any tension between those two things? Were, were you learning Actually, things I in school? That, like what I learned in school complemented the domination and you were doing clinical psychology classes yeah. mm-hmm. primarily because basically you learn about boundaries in therapy mm-hmm. you know you learn to set and maintain really really clear boundaries you learn to you know a lot about self-care right. because you know as a therapist and as a dominatrix you're both givers you give so much of your energy you're really fully present you hold the space right and so when you do that it's really easy to become drained and it's really easy to take stuff home with you right. so you really have to learn to separate that right and to yeah to take care of yourself so that was really good for me. Right. And it was really cool just <laughs> kind of exploring that. And yeah. Very interesting. And did you, did you talk about the dominatrix life with your fellow students or professors? With some of, with some of them I did actually, um, with a few of my, 
with a few of my friends, actually had them sit in on some sessions with me. Oh, really? And, uh, you know, a few of them actually participated in sessions with me. I remember one time I to had To get a- that extra humiliation fee? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to bring my entire Psych 101 class. <laughs> Pretty much. Bring your checkbook. It works out well for everyone. I remember the, one of my favorite memories is having this. One of my clients was into Wham! Wet and Messy play. So he was into sploshing. So he'd bring over right. maybe... Could, could you explain what that is to Sploshing okay. uh, Wham? Wham. I, th- I thought you meant you were playing like George Old. <laughs> George Michael songs while you were beating yes, this guy. You know, those, that's not my session music. <laughs> but um, but no, it's it's a fetish where, you know, you use all sorts of sloppy, wet, messy substances and, you know, either smeared all over them or, mm-hmm. you know, mashed them around with your feet and it's just kind of that sensation of that So it's wet, not, we're not talking about fecal matter or something. No, no, like, no. It's, it's like more like pies, whipped cream, shaving cream, stuff uh, like that. Oh, okay. So this okay. one client went into that huh. and he brought over, you know, 20, 30 cream pies, lemon cream pies, Boston cream pies, vanilla cream pies. He brought the pie. Pies. Yeah. He brought the pies. He brought all the clean material because it should never be work for me, you know, to. Because uh, you're the queen, yes. the goddess. She the, serves me. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so he laid out all the pies and me and three girlfriends from school each picked up a pie and he knelt, you know, down the middle of the room. And I, and I walked up to him with my pie and I said, you know, how badly do you want this pie, pie slut? And he was like, oh, so badly, so badly, mistress. And I remember saying like, I don't believe you want it. Was no. he naked at this point? Yes. Because of the power dynamic, right. uh, I would say 90% of my clients are, you know, clothed female, nude male. So they're fully undressed. You know, Is they, he handcuffed or something? No. He no. was just kneeling with his hands behind his back. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I smashed a pie in his face. And all my girlfriends smashed their pies in his face. And then we smashed pies in his face at the same time. And then we took, to, you know, and it was just all giggly and laughy and wet and fun. And huh. it was fantastic. Wow. So, yeah. Some of my girlfriends definitely set in. <laughs> okay. So now, so, yes. now if it's put your, your clinical psychology hat back on. Mm-hmm. Where does a fetish like that come from? Any idea? I actually spoke with him about it. I uh-huh. like to speak with all my clients about yeah. when they first knew that, you know, they had this fetish or when right. they knew of their, you know, kinky or submissive tendencies. And he said that he remembers when he was really young, he was watching Sesame Street. And apparently there was a character on Sesame Street who was the pie lady. And she would... Um, ask the audience, ask all the little kids watching Sesame Street, all right, guys, should I sell them this pie or should I smash in his face? So Bert or Ernie would be there waiting for the pie and she'd turn and ask the audience. And he remembers sitting and watching the television, you know, really like, oh, smash it in his face. You know, like he just got really excited about that. And he said over time that that transferred over into him wanting to pie smash in his face. And so as wow. an adult, he was able to, you know, seek out the services of a pro-dom and a go for it. A sesame seed-based fetish. That <laughs> is really bizarre, <laughs> I have to say. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's so amazing. now you have to you have to incorporate Bert and Ernie into the scene somehow. <laughs> Maybe one of these days when my girlfriends will dress up, you know, we'll, I'll be Big Bird. Big we'll all come Bird. up and sing the song, Sunny Days. Yeah, oh it'll just to, for the real experience. That's really something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the origins of fetishes are so, it, it, as far as I know, it's it's an area that hasn't been very deeply researched. No, it hasn't. I mean, I would imagine it'd be difficult to find. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting that he had that memory, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and there does seem to be uh, a window uh, in, in the development of male sexuality where some experience can mark a guy very in a way. Printed, right, very strongly printed, very strongly printed. A lot of them when they're younger I remember crawling around and their aunt or their mom was pushing them around with their feet 
foot fetish, you know, really? they're right by their mom's heels. They just remember like, you know, being close to it. Uh, so yeah, a lot of things develop huh, print. From interesting. A very yeah. Age. And now, now your clients are all men. I have 95% men and some couples, but the couple, when the couples come in, it's mostly, you know, we're talking dominatrix thing here, right? Yes, okay. Yes, those exactly. clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when the couples come in, it's mostly focused on the man. It's mostly focused on me teaching the female how to dominate the male. Oh, uh, okay. In the couple. I gotcha. So you're sort of training her a little bit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. What's that like? I mean, are, are the women, I mean, your experience with the athlete mm -hmm. seems to have suggested to you that Hey, I, I kind of like this. There's right. something about this, this experience of power over a man mm -hmm. that works for me. Yes. Right. Definitely. Now, do the women here who come in for these sessions, does it necessarily work for them or are they doing it? To make him happy. It's mixed. And I always insist whenever a male approaches me, hi, I'd like you to, you know, help me and my girlfriend or me and my wife, you know, right. learn how to play in this dynamic. I always insist on speaking with the female, you know, privately. Privately. And, just and to see, right. Just to see yeah. where she's at. You if know, she's being... Of course, into yeah. it or pressured into it or right. something she right. really wants to do because, you know, it has to be consensual on all right. sides. Right. Mm -hmm. Huh. Uh, any other fetish origin stories that spring out from your Oh, memory? there are so many. How long do we have, Chris? Yeah. As long <laughs> as you want. We'll be back next week and the week after. <laughs> I love it. I mean, there, I mean, what do you want to know about? Just pick a fetish. Well, I mean, I, I got to say, it never would have occurred to me that a fetish could have come from Sesame Street. I, okay. I, 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 but I should have. I mean, why not? I mean, people are into like stuffed animals, right? What do they right. call them? Furries or fuzzies or mm -hmm. I don't know what the... Furries, plushies. Mm -hmm. Plushies. That's what I was thinking. Plushies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, has anyone come to you with a fetish? Or a, a, a scene that they wanted to do that you refuse? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. Is that because too much violence generally? Or? No. Um, I turned down. Well, obviously, I have my hard limits. So I know that there are a lot of other. Hard limits are. I just don't go past this. Yes. Right, hard limits right. are absolutely not going to happen. They're non-negotiable. Right. So for me, that's obviously, you know, no drugs, animals, or children. Um, no, I don't do brown showers, so there's no scat play. Okay, so which is... poop on them and make them eat it. <laughs> That's yes. good to know. <laughs> FYI. Right. Um, I don't do any strap-on play, so uh -huh. I don't, you know... No pegging. Exactly. As Dan Savage right, calls it. right. Actually, um, sodomy is illegal in the state of California, so that's actually... Seriously? Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that cracks me up, and... It's so archaic. And so what archaic. is sodomy? I know. What does know. it mean? Like, is it like a little, oop, there goes my pinky up, up your bum? You know, even two, between two married, you know, loving. But isn't oral sex considered sodomy as well? No. I think it is. I if think you stick your tongue in the person's butt, I suppose. No, I thought sodomy referred to insert, insertive sex that's not intercourse. Mm, I understood it as anal, but we'll have to look that yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll Google okay. that. Yeah. We'll check that out. Um, that'll be a fun podcast activity. <laughs> what are you and guys so the doing? results of our research. <laughs> exactly. Next week. Because you can't um, demonstrate it. Yeah. So sodomy. Okay. So, so anal, so yeah, do, anything right. anal no, is illegal in California. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where, you know, so you can get arrested for that. Otherwise, you know, it's not. I remember seeing a New Yorker cartoon okay. a few years ago that blew my mind. And a lot of them are funny, but this one, very strange. 
it's the guy there's a you know a typical scene in the doctor's office right mm-hmm. the guy uh is leaning over the table the patient the doctor uh has a latex glove on mm-hmm. And he's obviously just done a prostate exam on the patient. And the patient turns to the doctor and says, so does this make me your bitch? (laughs) In the New Yorker. How did that get, get, you know, I mean, like old Jewish ladies on on the Upper West Side are like, whoa, what? I I don't know how that got through. progress. I guess so. I don't know. Is that progress? I love it. Uh, Yeah, we're destroying the family, you know, and traditional marriage. Um, That's what I should call the podcast. Hey. Destroying (laughs) traditional marriage with Dr. Christopher Ryan. Yeah. (laughs) Not that you're going to have any controversy that way. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, where were we? Oh, yeah, uh, inserting things into people's... Right, yeah, right. None okay, of that. So um, I don't do heavy race play. I don't like race play, and I don't do heavy degradation. Race play would be your um, mic slave. I remember one and... time I did a double session with uh, you know one of the ladies who I learned you know uh-huh. the trade from, and she had a client come in who wanted us to write all sorts of racial slurs across his body, and he was Caucasian. So... Um, so whitey honky oh cracker trash cracker thank you chris (laughs) oh i know i'm all believe me (laughs) and yeah and and degrade him for being you know for being white yeah Mm -hmm. and was so she was she was non-caucasian as well okay right so um, that's an interesting one yeah we're like we're you know superior ethnic goddesses and look at you and your pale inferior pasty white skin that burns so easily in the sun oh hey hey enough of that Sorry, sorry. Did I touch on a nerve there, Chris? <laughs> Jeez, where's my sun hat? Where's my pith helmet? So, what the yeah. hell is a pith helmet anyway? What's pith? I don't know. I mean, apparently it's protecting your head from pith. Well, but you I know, don't know what pith days, is. Pith, pith is dangerous. It can fall on your head at any moment. You need your. Where was your pith helmet? <laughs> yeah, your insurance doesn't work. You didn't have your pith helmet You're on. Not covered. All right. So, yeah, I. I think I should call the podcast tangentially speaking because I can never remember what the hell we were. Yeah. And we are, you know, yeah. all over the place. But that's I love good. It. That's Fun. good. Yeah, it's it organic. Keeps, keeps yeah. interesting. All right. So I feel like we're, we're giving short shrift to the other part of your life, the sort more, you know, conventional, I guess. But I mean, what I'm really interested in is how these things intersect, you mm-hmm. know? So like, like, let's say you're doing, um, a therapy session, uh, with uh, a couple as, okay. as a therapist, sure, thing, right? Sure. And because of your experience and your right. expertise in this other area, right. I'm sure you're very tuned into the power dynamics between the two of them. Very much so. And so, and I imagine it's not unusual. You you meet a couple and you say, ah, oh, that guy is submissive. She's not dominant. She doesn't pick up on that energy. That's the source of their problem. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see that all the time. Right, I'm, I'm definitely. Not... Mm-hmm. Do you ever... Are you in a position where you can recommend to a couple that they maybe contract a dominatrix or that they go talk to a dominatrix? Have I you ever done that? I would in coaching uh-huh. because that's more directive. Uh-huh. But in therapy, my style is much more, you right. know, letting them, you know, guiding them along gently, but not right. directly. Let, it, you know, let, exactly. let them come up right, with it. Right. right. So therein right. lies the difference. It must be very interesting, though, to, like, to have this sort of secret the secret life of the therapist. I see, <laughs> I, mean, I, I see a TV pilot here. 
<laughs> maybe it's just that I'm in in well, Southern California, well, but I see TV pilots because, everywhere uh, I look. I remember one of my internships when I was accruing my hours towards licensure mm-hmm. was at an elementary school. And so I was simultaneously doing domination. And luckily, I had a really flexible schedule at the school, so I could go in any time. As long as I saw all my students, I would be fine. And so I remember sometimes in the morning, I'd go into the dungeon, you know, I'd do a severe caning, and then I'd drive to the elementary school and I'd, you know, play games or do, you know, play therapy or art therapy with the kids. No spanking the kids, <laughs> No apparently. spanking the yeah. kids. Oh, God, no, that wouldn't be consensual oh. at all. No, actually, that's, you know, like yeah. child abuse report if, you know, yeah. a child actually happens yeah. to mention that in session. But, but yeah, so that was a fun dynamic for a while. And there are all sorts of stories about that. Or, you know, immediately after school, driving back to the dungeon, because the dungeon and the elementary school were actually just a few minutes drive away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so lunch much, break. Hold yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. I drive over here, you know, wow. some pies. Yeah. So now I, I think, you know, most readers or listeners like me probably aren't that familiar with what actually happens uh, in a BDSM session or okay. Dominic. So these are typically non-sexual. Uh, well, for me, I mean, it depends how you define sexual. I mean, right? in the sense that nobody's having sex with you. There's no sexual contact. Right. I don't touch anyone's penis unless it's to punch it. Uh, <laughs> I'm always fully clothed. There's uh-huh. never any sex whatsoever. There's nothing that ends in job that I do. Are you wearing latex, leather? It depends. I mean, sometimes I wear a really, you know, classy, you know, kind of like evening gown. Um, sometimes I wear, I have all sorts of latex, leather, rubber, um, PVC, all sorts of shiny, fun things. Right. But, um, yeah, I have an extensive wardrobe and sometimes clients have special requests for footwear for, you know, different things, but generally I wear what I like. So it's like now, Halloween every day. If people listening to this who live in Southern California or are willing to fly here mm-hmm. to to meet with you, is mm-hmm. there a place where they can? Do you have a website or something? Yeah, they can go to www.kylayee.com. That's K-A-I-L-A-Y-I.com. So cool. Yep, all my content information is on there. So right. Okay. Say Interesting. Hi. Do you know Mistress Matisse by any chance? The name's familiar, but I haven't met her. She's in Seattle. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's She interviewed me when I was up there a while ago. Very, very interesting woman. She's pretty intense. But but she's, I mean, she's like you in the sense that she's not, I mean, just in, in personal conversation, she doesn't come off as uh, a dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, maybe I'm exposing my own ignorance here, but, you know, she's not like a big German, you know, right. Russian. Really strict, you know. ice queen, yelling orders. Right. Oh, yeah. No, we're not yeah. like that. We're not. Let's like portray them. I mean, some of us are. Right. And sometimes, you know, we are and sometimes we are. You know, I mean, for me, in the beginning, when I first started out, I thought I had to fit this caricature. I had to be Angelina Jolie and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, in that one scene. I had to be this, you know, cold, cruel. And, you know, sometimes that was me and sometimes that wasn't and over time because i've been you know professional for seven years now seven years i've just become a lot more congruent with who i am in my scenes um it really i get to express enjoy and celebrate an authentic part of who i am if i want to laugh i laugh if i'm in a mean mood i'll be a bitch but you know if i Mm. it's it's really it's really honest and that's how i've begun attracting really honest clients you know like the tracks like and everything. So. Is there, um, aside from honesty, mm-hmm. would you say there's a sort of a typical profile of a guy who goes to a dominatrix? Um, for me, primarily, I mean, and I think a lot of doms will, will 
also echo the sentiment. It's it's mostly guys who are in positions of significant power, you know. Right. So you get a yeah, lot that's of, that's the cliche. Exactly, and you would confirm yeah, that's that. True, absolutely. So are they now? Now here's here's what I wonder, looking at it from a psychological perspective. Assuming this is true, that mm-hmm. that guys who um, get off on being dominated, humiliated mm-hmm. in, in this fashion are men who wield a lot of power in their lives. Or have a lot of responsibilities. A lot of responsibility. Mm, which we all do to a certain extent. Yeah. But I mean, from the other dominatrices I've spoken to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they talk about executives, upper upper level executives, uh, airline pilots, uh, you know, CEOs, you know, of companies, uh, officer, military officers, people. Sure. Um, now, what I'm wondering is, are these people who are fascinated by power and that has led them to seek power mm-hmm. in one part of their lives and to be fascinated by having power exercised over them in this right. other part of their lives? Or are they people who just because of circumstance and luck and whatever end up in these very powerful positions and they seek the the humiliation as a way to balance their psyches in some way it's a combination you know it's definitely a mixture of both a lot of these men are very very good at what they do and take on a lot of responsibility and sometimes it's the whole i have to do everything by myself that's the only way it'll get done well and so they're in charge of a lot you know they have a lot of responsibilities professionally personally and it's really cathartic to be able to relinquish all of that for a while and not to have to make decisions that impact so many people and right. to be able to let go and really not have to think or worry about anything right for a while and right it can be really powerful and bring a lot of peace i i think that's true of women as well mm. the women i've known who have been very submissive in a sexual setting right. have often been very powerful I wouldn't say dominant necessarily just because the whole social roles are right. so different. Right. But yeah, people with a lot of responsibilities, a lot on their in their minds, a lot to deal with. And so that's just sort of an opportunity to let it all go and rest in a way. And I can personally speak to that because I've seen a professional dominatrix once just to see what it's like on the other side. Oh, right. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life. Really? She was amazing. Yes. And why only once? Um, we might play again. We'll see. I mean, we're friends and uh, I really, you know, I hold on the highest esteem as a, as a colleague and as a friend, right. and I, you know, so we'll see who knows. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you about that and, mm-hmm. and don't answer if you're uncomfortable with anything, no, of, course, fine, of course, but, but in your private life, right. in your own sexual experiences, mm-hmm. are you dominant? Always. Oh, you're a top in your I am a private top stuff in my as private well. personal life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I've always been the top. Always. I'm always a big spoon. <laughs> so Yes. Do you think, is that a result of this traumatic experience you have? I've thought a lot about it. I've done a lot of processing. I think part of it is, I think actually becoming, you know, a prodominant has actually been extremely healing because here I am in a place where I can set boundaries with men and they'll respect and abide by that. Right. And here's a place where I'm in control and that's not questioned and that's not pushed. And if right. it is, they're immediately dismissed. Right. But right. I've been really blessed to have some really incredible. So it makes you feel safe. It does. Really. And do you safe. think if you were in a submissive role, that would make you feel out of control and Possibly scared? Or, with a male. I've right. only been submissive once, you know, to my female friend and right, colleague. Right. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great that you found a, a place of safety. Absolutely. I have a friend in Spain who, um, uh, 
I met him at this um, ecstasy conference in Israel. Nice. Yeah, I love telling that story. <laughs> oh, I remember I came, it was in September or something and I came back and, you know, in Spain, everybody goes on vacation in August, September. And so it's kind of like going back to school and everyone says, yeah, hey, what'd you do over the summer? You know, it's, in Spain, it's like high school. Oh, I spent my summer vacation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, you know, people are saying they went to the beach, they went to the mountains, they went here. Sure. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was invited all expenses paid to an ecstasy conference at the <laughs> Dead Sea Hyatt, you know. No big deal. Yeah, no yeah. Deal. It was all right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I met this guy there, um, Jose Carlos, who's uh, still a very good friend of mine. This was in 99, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and he did his uh, doctoral research using ecstasy, okay. MDMA, right. in psychotherapy with women who had um, suffered um, sexual trauma, right. sexual abuse. A lot of therapists right. used to use MDMA. Well, that's the thing. You Back right. when it was first... Um, well, it's a complicated uh, story because it was MDMA was first uh, invented by I think it was Bayer in the twenties, mm. but they were trying to use it for something else, and they were giving it to rats, and they, it didn't have the effect they were looking for. They didn't notice that the rats were all like you know loving and you know dancing <laughs> to bad music, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, if you have to take ecstasy to dance to that music, it's bad music. All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So much judgment. I know. So judgment. I know. But I, I was, Casilda and I were in Goa a few years ago. And Goa is like the rave capital of Asia. Right. right? And, you know, we found this beautiful beach and it was so nice and tranquil. And then at night is just the boom, 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 right. boom. Right. Sure. And it's like, that's not organic. You know, it's music made by machines. <laughs> so this is just funny to me because remember how we just met? Yeah. <laughs> how did we just meet? Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Should, should we say that? I don't know if we should I don't say know, that. I'm going to get in say trouble. That. Yeah. Fine. We met at uh, Moby's birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we didn't meet there. I don't. I don't remember speaking to you there. I remember at the sushi place later, but right. I, I don't think I I met you because somebody said there. you were in the pool, and if I had seen you in the pool, I would have remembered that. Believe I actually me. didn't get that. Must have been another eight, the one other Asian. Girl oh, there. it wasn't you. Okay, <laughs> that that explains it because I thought, damn. If I, if she was in the pool, I would have remembered that. Yeah. Uh, oh no. And with your, your torn labia, you oh, wouldn't yeah. be in the pool no, anyway, no, would you? See, no, right. Can't have any of that. We're, we're Blood in the water. <laughs> no. Sharks, shark attack. <laughs> Horrible infection. No, we don't. No, I like, I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, five, five, ten songs by Moby. I like them. You know, the one where he samples the Alan Lomax thing is fantastic. You know what I'm talking sure, about? Yeah. Oh, well. Actually, uh, not really, but okay. It's uh, an old woman saying, uh, oh, Lord, the trouble I've seen. You know? oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that one. I, I've heard that one. I can't okay, believe okay. I'm singing on my podcast. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's that a mistake. Happened. That's a mistake. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think it's Mysterious Ways. I think it's called. It's a beautiful know, yeah. song. I know. But because he's sampling, Alan Lomax was an anthropologist in the 20s and 30s who traveled all around the South recording slave songs and, mm. you know, people who, who had learned the songs from their parents and right. like the first Muddy Waters when Muddy Waters was like in his early 20s and mm. sitting on some porch playing long before any of this stuff became famous because right. later white bands like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, they that. listened to Alan right. Lomax's field recordings. And, by that. Sure. and he was in churches and all over because he so knew this cool. was really, you know, important music. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, so that I can see because it's okay. It's electronic music, but, but it's music, right. you know, whereas this crap they were playing in Goa was just like coming out of a, a program. It right. wasn't, there wasn't right. a person was no anywhere in there it. Right. and there's right. nothing being communicated mm -hmm. that I could mm -hmm. understand. Doesn't evoke any emotions. Okay. All now right. I've established that I'm a grumpy old man. <laughs> Kids, that's not music. Like electronic music. No. That's right. It's not like, yeah. What, what? I feel like there's so many questions you've asked that we just barely touched on. You know, I like, know. What that's happens the during problem. a session? What's the process? How are yeah. you with other clients? Yeah, that's true. What, how much time do we have? We've got, uh, we're, we're doing all right. We, okay, we still have another 20 minutes or so. Um, so, no, why the hell was I talking? Oh, oh, yeah, he was using, oh, the MDMA thing. So, so it was isolated by, so it's confusing because people say, um, that a guy named Sasha Shulgin invented MDMA. He was a chemist living in Berkeley, who was also a, a friend, a, I wouldn't say a friend of mine, but a guy I've met several times. Nice. Um, and, uh, he's a very interesting guy. He, um, he's sort of a genius, right? He's a, sure. a chemistry genius. And he, he, uh, he invented some, I can't remember right now what it was, but something that we use every day. It's some, some like, like stick them like on post-it notes or, or okay. some, right. something like that, that every, you know, and, uh, he basically, the lab he was working in said, look, you just do what you want from now on. You know, you're, you we're making so much money. Yeah. You just, you know, invent whatever <laughs> you, you want to invent. You go, you play. So what he's very interested in is neurotransmitters, which mm -hmm. are, you know, mm -hmm. you would know, but maybe some people don't know. They're between, it's a chemical that, that connects the neurons in the brain. Um, you know, the, there's an electrical pulse that goes through the neuron, but then that neuron is not in physical contact with the neurons near it. The, the neuron releases a chemical, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, uh, there's several of them, uh, that then triggers the next neuron. And so there's sort of a chain. Of, yeah. down. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he looked at these, uh, neurotransmitters and would play with them a little bit, you know, just move this uh, over it. here and tweak this. Mm -hmm. And then he had uh, a bunch of friends who would come up to his ranch up behind Berkeley every weekend and they would try whatever a very very cakes. small dose sure, of whatever sure. and then like they'd that. wander around the ranch with a notebook just noting whatever mm -hmm. and if a lot of them had a very positive feeling then he would continue down that path right, right? so he ended up inventing hundreds of of different uh, inventing probably isn't the word but isolating or or i don't know like making new chemicals and uh, mdma was one of them and so, as you said, it was used for well over a decade in California by therapists because mm -hmm. his friends would pass it along to their friends. And a lot of his friends were psychologists and psychotherapists of one sort or another. And it was used uh, to great effect because the one thing that happens, the most um, salient thing that happens with MDMA is a loss of fear. Right. Right. No filter. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, trust is much more easily established. Mm -hmm. And so what, what Jose Carlos was doing in Spain was working with women who had not responded to any other treatment, right? They, mm -hmm. they just couldn't get over or couldn't get through this. And as you know, as a therapist, one of the things that, that you're trying to help uh, a client do is relive a traumatic experience, mm -hmm. but 
on their terms now, right? right? right. Taking control of it. Exactly. And of course, they're terrified. Uh, they don't want to relive it. They want to avoid it at all costs. Mm, they're going to die. Right. right. And they that go. creates all this scar sure. tissue and denial and all, the, right. all this trauma around that. Mm. So, yeah, he was getting amazing results, mm. wonderful results with this. And, uh, and then, of course, one of the major newspapers in Spain found out about it, wrote an article about it. And despite the fact that he had full licensure, all government approval, he was getting the MDMA from the police. It was all, you know, lab tested. They had a doctor on site. The whole thing shut it down. Of course they did. Unbelievable. Such a shame. But now, uh, largely uh, thanks to an organization called MAPS, uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Nice. Uh, a lot of research is being approved in the U.S. for using MDMA in uh, uh, and uh, psilocybin, LSD, all these illegal substances in therapeutic uh, context. Here, it, controlled, right? Well, like it, people who have terminal illnesses, for example, right. here at UCLA, there's a guy doing research on uh, people at end stage uh, cancer. They're dying. They know they're dying. Mm -hmm. They take LSD, have one experience, mm -hmm. and have lasting, uh, they sort of revolutionize their, their relationship with death. Wow. Yeah. Things are unlocked and they, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, experience. they're much sure. more at peace and, and they, they have a different understanding of what life is and what death is and transitions and all these things. Right. I'm, I'm going to write about a lot of this in, in my next book. Fantastic. Civilized to death, but enough about me. <laughs> Can't wait to read it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, okay, where where were we before we went off on the MDMA tangent? I like the tangentially I, speaking. Ten, I feel like that's a really that good one. That might be a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because I envision these podcasts, as I think I said to you earlier, much more as conversations mm -hmm. than as straight up good. interviews. Yeah, you know? we go naturally, where yeah, we're close. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Okay. So, uh, now where, what's next for you? Where are you going? Are you, uh, I mean, you're in... I guess we can say we're in LA, right? Yes. We've already sort of said mm -hmm. that. Uh, and you, you know, people in media as, mm -hmm. as demonstrated by your presence at Moby's right. birthday party. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I got to LA like less than a day before that party. Mm -hmm. And I don't know Moby, obviously. And, uh, but through someone, I suddenly I'm invited to his birthday party and it's like, wow, the LA is so LA. You know, I love the city. It's it's pretty. It's a, I have a very strange relationship with it. I I don't like L.A. You don't like L.A. No, I Why don't. Not? Chris, I don't like cars. I don't like sitting in cars. Okay. I don't like highways. I don't like oh, uh, like big open beaches. Okay, you know because okay. I'm a honky cracker. Right. Yes, you'll you'll white be fried. Boy. Right. Right. Yeah. Those are scary for you. It's okay. Yeah. My my black friends used to call me white chocolate. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, Chris. <laughs> yeah, a few of them. A few of them. Well, for every negative, let's think of a positive. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Every the time I come to LA, I meet all these amazing people, mm -hmm. you know, and I get invited to these crazy parties and it's like, wow, even more amazing people. And so what I'm recognizing is that, uh, and it's all since the book came out, since Sex at Dawn came mm. out, suddenly people want to meet me, right? Before Sex at Dawn, nobody knew who I was or cared, right? And then suddenly <laughs> now it's like, hey. you know, last time I was here, I met this guy, uh, Tal Ruspoli. I interviewed him for a podcast earlier. He's an Italian prince, right? His father was this famous prince who hung out with uh, Fellini and the Dolce Vita <laughs> was based on his life. 
right? Nice. It's like, oh, by the way, yeah, have you met my friend? <laughs> FYI. Yeah, yeah. So you don't meet people like that uh, in Cincinnati. No. Nothing against Cincinnati. No, no. Cincinnati is a great place. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Even Vancouver. I was in Vancouver for the summer. Beautiful city. Gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, the the number of really interesting people in LA is just mind blowing. LA does attract some some very fascinating, eccentric people doing some really exciting things. So so if I, if this TV show that we're pitching takes off, uh, Maybe I'll try to convince you to appear on that. <laughs> we'll chat, Chris. We'll yeah, chat. You could wear a mask or something if you want to protect your identity. <laughs> no, I think at that point I'll be comfortable with it. You know, I do want to interview people in the BDSM scene. Okay, well, I can definitely, you know, just introduce you to plenty of yeah. things that you're looking for. And I was thinking, now see, here's what I envisioned, okay? Okay. I'm, I'm, it's like a straight up interview with uh, a guy and I'm saying, so what is it about this that, you know, mm-hmm. gets you off? And sure. when did you first realize yeah. and all those sorts of questions, but the camera pans back and the guy is hanging upside down on the wall, suspended, right, right. suspended with so, a ball gag in his fine. mouth. So he's going, <laughs> rum, 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 rum. and then we'll put subtitles. That's great. That'll appear under his head. Oh, that's so cute. So I think that would be really funny. And I spoke <laughs> to some people in the BDSM scene in, in Vancouver and they were like, yeah, that's hilarious. And then, I spoke to someone else and she was like, mm, that might be sort of offensive. Like you have to be careful about how you do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to have a good time. Sure. Yeah. It has to be fun. But, you but know, you're I not, mean, yeah. Well, you're always going to risk offending someone. So at one point, you know, just follow your heart yeah. and have a dialogue and speak openly and honestly and communicate with whatever comes up, you know, yeah. offense, well, let's talk about it. Where's that coming from? Right. I'm going to therapist mode right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'll do, I'll do professional domination for as long as it continues to nourish me and challenge mm. me and inspire me. Um, as soon as it stops doing that, I'll stop. Um, same with therapy. You know, for me, I'm really fluid and, you know, I'm, I'm writing a lot. I'm finishing up my first uh, iPhone and Android app. For, so, uh, for what? Um, it's it called uh, the Awesome Sex Game Generator. Uh-huh. And it's actually a series of randomly generated sex games, which are actually cleverly disguised uh, ways for couples and people to increase their communication and their closeness and their oh, intimacy. Interesting. Because people aren't afraid of games. Games are fun. But when it's like, let's sit down and have a talk, honey. Oh, God. You know, the penis retracts to bring it full circle, you know. So, yeah, for example, one of the games is, you know, tell me what you want. And, you know, your partner has to take turns with you specifically asking for what they want and you can't do anything unless you're told exactly what to do. And so what a great way to communicate honestly, okay, I'd like you to suck my toes and will you kiss me in this way or in this place, you know? So just, yeah, open up the lines of communication dialogue. So all of them are specifically tailored to. When's that going to be out? Um, Hopefully fingers crossed uh, by the end of November. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah. So look for that. Anything else you'd like to plug? Um, I've got dozens of listeners. <laughs> oh, yay. All 12 of you. Um, yeah, just right now, the uh, the iPhone application, the awesome sex game generator, a um, couple books I'm working on. Just, you know. Oh, what books are you working on? Um, well, one is about being a professional dominatrix and how to be a professional dominatrix. It's uh-huh. for other women who are thinking about doing it. And it goes more into the philosophy behind it. And it's a lot more educational because a lot, a lot of times I feel like, um, people don't understand what professional domination is. Right. And, and I'm talking about cl- classical domination. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, escorts out there who it's, it's on a menu of things you can choose from. Right. And, um, you know, which is all fine and good, but in terms of people who are interested in 
domination in its classical sense. That's what I, you know, aspire to educate um, on. Now, it's not illegal, right, in California. No. It's not considered prostitution. No. People mm-hmm. often confuse My the two. My dungeon is commercially licensed and zoned and all sorts of Do you have to have, like, stuff. health inspectors in and stuff? No, I mean, it's the same as, like, a therapy office. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Do you do blood play? No, I don't. I don't do any blood or medical play. That's also not legal, technically. Oh, uh, it's not know? legal. Because okay. if you don't have a nursing license, then you right. can't do anything that involves sutures or whatnot. But right. yeah, I don't do any of that play. Mm-mm. I have a friend who, who is uh, submissive um, in the BDSM world, mm-hmm. a woman. And uh, her situation is very interesting. Sort of like yours in the sense that there's... Th- it's it's hard to tease out what's a natural proclivity and what's a response to an experience, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And in her case, um, she's had uh, a series of very uh, traumatic uh, surgeries mm. and that involve a lot of chronic pain. Right. And uh, she's transformed that pain into pleasure somehow, mm. right? And mm. so her BDSM thing is very much related to the the medical history that she's had. Okay. Have you had clients with anything like that? Have, have you come across that sort sure. of thing? Really? Yeah, you just instances where they begin to understand and interpret these painful experiences they've had as something that's positive for them. Psychological, physical? Both, both, both really. Um, I have a client who comes in and he, um, we do a role play. It's the same role play every single time. And it's where I'm a mean mommy and he's my disobedient son. And he gets tied up and he gets whipped with a belt and he gets punished and disciplined severely for whatever it happens to be for, um, you know, not doing well in a test at school for being caught cheating for, you know, skipping class. And then I've talked to his teacher and it's been bad. And then I have to force him to eat Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. He hates the smell of cooked Brussels sprouts. They make him sick, but I have to force him to eat them. Right. Um, so this obviously goes back to a traumatic experience, you know, yeah. from, from a much... Or, or a series of them, possibly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And now, instead of seeing something that's really traumatic that breaks him, he relives it. And it's a safe space. And at the end, it's really nurturing as opposed to meaning to break him or destroy him. Right. And right. so each time he survives it triumphantly and comes out better and stronger for it. And, you know, at the end, you know, sometimes he cries and I, you know, there's a lot of aftercare involved, you know, in in pro-dom scenes. Sometimes there's a lot of emotional stuff that comes up and you just, you sit with them. Sometimes I hold their hands. Sometimes I I put their heads in my lap and I pet their heads. Out of character or do you stay in character? Um, there's no in character, out of character. It's just me, you know, like the, I remember one of my, yeah, but you're not the mean mommy. That's true. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, I guess that's slightly out of character then for that specific role play. But I remember most of my, one of my most powerful sessions ever was with, um, a Persian client who was into feminization. So he came in in his business suit and, and I totally transformed him. So we put on makeup, a wig. We dressed him in lingerie, everything from stockings, garter, bra, panties. And I would teach him how to curtsy properly like a girl. I'd teach him how to dust things, how to walk, you know, in a very feminine manner. And um, at the end of one of these sessions, we wipe, we wash off all the makeup, taken off, you know, all traces of the lipstick and taken off the wig. And he was back in his suit and he sat down in the middle of, of the room and he started crying. And I sat there with him and we were just quiet. And I just, you know, just really present. And he looked up at me, I'll never forget this. And he said, thank you. You know, in my, in my culture, this is completely unacceptable. And if, if my wife knew, if my brothers knew, if my, if my employees knew, 
that would be it, you know? And, um, so thank you, you know, for letting me be this part of who I am in a place that's really safe for me to be me. Yeah. And, and I sat there and he cried and he came over and I gestured for him to come over and he put his head in my lap and I just kind of like held him. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, afterwards he, you know, took one last kind of, and then back out to the real world, back out to the real world. And so that the real world, the real world for him, the fake world. Yeah. Right. So for me, I mean, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Have you ever cried in a session? Have you ever been so moved? I have. I have. I've gotten really teary in several sessions. Um, Not to the point where I've outright, you know, bald or anything, you know, like in therapy also you get triggered, you know, by all sorts of things. And um, there are definitely some really powerful and moving stories, but you know, just you respond with love and you respond with compassion, you respond with respect and that's reciprocated. I I think one of the great misunderstandings people have about this sort of thing is, and and, in prostitution as well, by the way, Mm -hmm. is that they don't understand how much, it's almost like literature. James Joyce uh, once said that literature was uh, just in a very elaborate form of lying, Mm. you know, um, but it's a form of lying that contains more truth than almost anything else. And so, you know, you're the mean mommy or, you know, a prostitute plays a a role that her John wants her to play or whatever. There's a lot of artifice involved in Mm. these things. But I think what people don't understand is that very often there's an incredible amount of truth Mm. that comes out in in Mm. the context of this artifice, right? Almost like theater or something. Yeah. Definitely. And I've spoken to, to prostitutes who have said, you know, a lot of their clients are, it's not about the sex. It's about the conversation afterwards. Mm. Like they'll come in, they'll pay for an hour. They'll have sex in, in like five minutes and then they'll hang out for 50 minutes chatting about their lives, about their marriages, about their fears, about, mm. and it's like the one place in their lives where they feel free and, and safe to and be to be honest, completely honest and yeah. congruent and authentic right. and genuine. Right. I've experienced the same things with a lot of my clients and I've actually, you know, kind of worked with them to help, to help process, you know, some yeah. of the real stuff that they're going to, if they ask for it, if they allow for it. It's interesting, isn't it? How in the Western world, at least in the United States, certainly in psychotherapy, touching a client is strictly forbidden. Right. You're not supposed to give them hugs or, you know, right, anything. kids or yeah. you know, adults, right. Anything. And yet, you know, especially with kids, my God, mm. I mean, you know, a kid starts crying and freaking out and everything in your being just wants to, you know, hug them and hold them and like, you know, Reach reassure out. them physically. Sure, and that's what they need. Do. And I understand yeah, the law. I understand that it's, it's abused. But, you know, this is, again, I'm going to write about this in the next book. Because of the scale of society, we have to pass these laws mm-hmm. that are not applicable to a lot of us individually. I, yeah. I can hug any kid in the world and I'm never going to have any sexual impulse toward that sure. kid, especially a kid who's crying and right. in pain, you know? Right. Right. So that law doesn't apply to me. And nope. yet it, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, well, you see where I'm going with it, but it's, yeah. it's like we reduce everyone to this lowest common denominator, right. which That's is, is so really tragic. It is. It's really sad. So it's interesting. I mean, here you are with these two different worlds, one of which is very much about, physical touch interaction on a physical level and the other in which any physical interaction is strictly forbidden. forbidden. Right. 
Yeah. Have you have you had sessions with any returning veterans from Afghanistan yes. or Iraq? Yes. Mm-hmm. And have they been working through a PTSD sort of situation? Sometimes. Some, several of them have, actually. Yeah. And I've actually worked... I mean, I worked with a lot of my... So, in domination, some of my clients know that I also, you know, have a degree in psychology. And some of them have opened up, you know, about things that they've experienced, the traumas, you know, abroad, and or stresses going on their personal lives. And I actually... I believe that there's incredible power in ritual. Right. So what I do is I design a special ritualistic session for them that involves, I mean, depending on what, you know, what's going on, you know, just for example, um, impact play, you know, like when you're spanked or when you're, when you're, when you're experiencing that, that tends to, that can loosen things up that are in you, like, you know, thing stuff builds up that that's unhealthy for us, un- unhealthy thoughts unhealthy experiences and healthy images. And by, with, by experiencing impact play, you can kind of shake those loose. And then to get rid of them, you can use something really symbolic, like you can use fire play to, to burn them. Like, you know, when farmers want to plant new crops, they burn their fields so that the ground's fertile and fresh and new again. Or I, I mm. use electricity, you know, in a similar sense. Mm. Or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then with bondage, you know, when you're tied really tightly down, you have to let go. You have to let go of whatever you're holding on to. Because it's not really yours to hold on to in the first place, you mm. know, and you can release that. Not to me, you know, it's not mine to hold either. You can breathe it into the earth, you know, that's where it belongs. Just give it back. And so there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of, you know, just release that can be found when you're, you know, bound and, and tied and just all these different elements can come to play. And when I sit down and explain and design, you know, a therapy, I don't want to say, you know, it's not therapeutic, but it, it is. It is, it is therapeutic. Yeah, um, this, this BDSM ritual, a lot of my clients have reported extremely powerful results from it because mm. a lot of times you just need something symbolic like that right. to take away, you know, that pain and to help alleviate, you know, all that stuff that's going on. So. Well, I don't know how much you know about shamanism, but, uh, you know, that sort of reliance on ritual for healing mm. goes back way, 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 so you know, long. forever, sure. basically, in terms sure. of human, human healing traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they understood that. Yeah. So I absolutely Amazing. abide by the same principles. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been very educational for me, very illuminating. Thank you very much. You want to say your, your website again for people who might oh, want sure. to get in touch? Uh, my website is kylayi.com, www.kailayi.com. Um, the app's coming out soon. A couple books are coming out soon. I'm also working on a, kind of the female dominant version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. <laughs> but with much better writing, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually glad that that book took off because it opens up a dialogue and it shows that our society is ready, you know, for... Yeah. For some new ideas. Ready for, for something. Some like, yeah, ready for something. So let's, let's go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I, I've got a particular grudge against that book because I was interviewed for a session, a segment on 2020, mm-hmm. the ABC show, I think it is. Okay. And I got bumped because they, that week oh, was when no. that book Oh, no. So you got a they, personal little yeah, minute against exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
Oh, Chris. Um, but, and I haven't read, have you read uh, the story of, oh, I'm sure you've read. Sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah it's uh, classic. That's a pretty good book. And that's it's terrific. Well-written yeah. Agreed. anyway. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. The movie was strange. Did you see the movie? <laughs> it was bizarre. It's like a real prefer, 70s Yeah, I prefer thing. the book, but hey, yeah. they tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And much appreciation for any, you know, anyone that brings that into Exactly. Into bring it out. Society. Bring it out. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks for having me. This was sure. fun. It was great. Thank you very much. And we'll we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>